Hello, I'm Stephanie Hodge from I'm Madman, and you're listening to Scream 101. Hello and welcome back to Scream 101. I'm Brennan Klein. And I'm Shannon Chalakian. And if today you guessed we're talking about the seminal psychological thriller Silence of the Lambs, you're completely wrong. And only wrong because you're completely right. However, we won't be doing that episode today. We're actually going to be pushing that to two weeks from now, um, thanks to some unexpected news. Starting with the fact that we got this wonderful opportunity to interview this amazing, amazing woman, Stephanie Hodge. For those of you longtime listeners, if you remember our I Madman episode. Our very first episode. Our very first episode. If you remember our our pilot episode, then you will probably remember that we spent the entire time not talking about horror, but more talking about our favorite character, Mona. And Mona is played by Stephanie Hodge. And Stephanie Hodge, we are going to be talking to. Yeah, we're very, very excited. And we're going to get into that shortly. But also, we're going to be giving you a couple updates and one of our regular features. Um, first of all, our first update, um, this is actually a suggestion from our friend and fellow listener, Matt Russell. Shout out to Matt Russell. How you doing? Hey, Matt. Ooh. We realized that in our system, we provided you with a clue, and then the next week, we revealed the clue, and then proceeded to spoil the entire movie. So for those of you who actually wanted to, to watch the movie and play along you wouldn't have the opportunity to because we revealed the clue and we spoiled the movie in the same episode so we decided to change it up thanks to matt good idea so we will be revealing the clue well we will give you the clue two weeks in advance we will reveal what the clue clue is the exact movie a week in advance and then the actual movie review will come out that way you have an entire week to watch the movie in preparation and then we will have our review this might sound a little confusing but once we get into it it's going to be great We've been doing this for a little while now. This is our ninth episode, so we decided this would be a great time to throw in and wrench into the system. Exactly. And a further wrench is actually uh, due to some, some sad news. Brennan, why don't you go ahead? Um, okay, this, this past Sunday, we received news that um, the great master horror director Wes Craven passed away at the age of 76 to brain cancer that nobody actually knew he had. It was really surprising and devastating news. I uh I wrote an obituary on um arrowinthehead.com if you want to check it out. I'm I'm really proud of it. Um I think it really expresses all my feelings about him and his career. Um and we're actually going to be uh pushing our Silence of the Lambs review another week back. We're doing it in 2 weeks cuz we're going to do a special Wes Craven tribute episode um next week. So, in order to so in order to preface for that, because we are talking about all these clues, we'll give you the clue for that episode, but we're going to give it to you right now, and then we'll reveal the movie for the episode at the end of this episode, so you still have that week before we review it. Yeah, so if you want to watch it so you can uh, laugh along with us at the ending or whatever, um, you can feel free to do so. So here's the clue. This underappreciated 1989 Craven flick is an electrifying contribution to the genre. And we're uh, we're really looking forward to this episode. We're really uh, devastated by this news, but it should be a good time. And thank you for uh, thank you for everything, Wes. We really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, he meant a lot to us, and I'm sure he meant uh, even more to those who knew him very intimately. So um, you know, our thoughts go out to 
those of his family and his friends and um yeah it's sad devastating news but now moving on to a more yeah. a more positive note life goes on life goes on so um here we were just talking about a death unfortunate now we're gonna talk about a birthday specifically my father's birthday um my dad has been a long time listener he texts me with his his um attempts at, at getting the clue correct and they have always been wrong it's but not his fault some of our clues are pretty hard they're pretty hard um but but we, i love him so much and i love that he listens and so hopefully he will hear this um by his birthday his birthday is actually into next week but i figured we'd do it before and not after and uh, let's dive on into our 10 word reviews so we can get straight on into the interview shannon what are your 10 word reviews I'm just going to say a final, like, happy birthday, Dad. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday, Shannon's happy birthday. Dad. Love you. Okay. So, my 10-word reviews. Um, I watched three because I got very sad and decided to watch a bunch of sad Netflix movies Aww. because that's what happens. Um, the first one I watched was As Cool As I Am. And my review is, why does every indie movie on Netflix have rape scenes? Secondly, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Dangerous situations make people fall in love with each other. And finally, Mona Lisa Smile. It's her choice to be a mother, goddammit. <laughs> That's a great one. Thanks. And I feel like the title, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, is actually longer than your review. It's nine. <clears throat> okay, all right, we counted. Cool. And my ten words or less reviews are Bride of Chucky. I'd get a prenup to keep this in my collection. Seed of Chucky. Outrageously silly fun. A baby puppet is ugly as sin. Night School. A Boston tourism video with an excellent cheeky slasher attached. And so those are my 10 words or less reviews. Let's jump right on into the Stephanie Hodge interview, which I'm super excited about. I hope you enjoy it. Have a good time. Stay safe. Stay strong. Enjoy yourselves. See you on the other side. We're sitting here with Stephanie Hodge, who played Mona in I, Madman. And thank you very much for joining us, Stephanie. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited about what you're doing. Thank you. And actually, we're very excited to, that you're here, too, because actually our very first episode that we did back in July was I, Madman. And this was back in our apartment. We were just tooling around on the computer, and we are like, we love this movie. We love your character, Mona. And just as a joke, I was like, we should get Mona on the show. We were like, just sitting there at this steamer trunk with my computer and we had no idea that this was going to happen and it's kind of been an inside joke on the show like every other episode or so we're like we're still waiting on that mona interview but we'll see what happens with that and it's just it's really surreal that we're actually here and just thanks again we're really excited to be talking to you about this oh that's nice thank you that was the most fun thing honestly top three experiences in my career as an actress and a comic top three that's right in there because it was just so well done and so much fun and everybody involved in it was uh, really committed to the horror of it and having a good time with it you know which is a it's such it was just a relief it was such a great relief the joy everybody was having with it and what a, what a great uh, commentary about how you being a comic and being an actress when your character, like, we have a, a part of our podcast called Champion Dialogue, where we pick our best line. And we both connected so much with one of the lines that you had said about, about being in the bookstore and uh, talking about men, and then you get hit on right then. Um, and that was our favorite. And we, we were just like, that Mona, she's just so, so spunky. We, we need her. Oh, I love that character. That's such a great character. Okay, so let's just move on into our first question. 
We have we have a couple. Because you've always been a big horror fan, and you've said before that you're like one of your big goals was playing a victim in a horror film. Was this the first horror film that you auditioned for? Yes, it was. Actually, it was the first horror film I auditioned for, the first horror film film I did, and the only horror film I've done, which has honestly been a tremendous disappointment to me. I want to do more. I really do. If I could live the rest of my life out being murdered in a variety of ways or murdering others or being sucked through the bowels of hell, that would be great. You get paid for that and you get to play in horror. That would That's... I know it sounds crazy. Everybody said, what about meaningful, meaningful, great. That's for retirement. I want to have fun. I want to do horror movies. I really do. <laughs> do you feel like um, being so involved in the comedy scene, being in sitcoms kind of prevented you from doing horror or was it just something that didn't happen? I honestly think, well, once you're, you're we're all pigeonholed in the industry. And um, once you're pigeonholed as that funny person, that's pretty much where you stay, where you remain. And I think it's, it's, it's been great and I appreciate it and I'm so grateful for every opportunity that I've had. And I do love comedy, but I really do think that it has, I know for a fact that it's interfered in my getting parts and other things. That's really interesting because I've heard people say and prominent women say uh, that comedy has broken barriers where they don't get typecast as a role based on their looks and appearances, etc. Um, and do you feel like when you were playing in a boys club and, and your comedy, you know, helped in some ways because you were a funny presence? Yes, I think I think it did in, in certain ways and there are certain aspects of it. It's interesting because it's one of those things where you are literally told by casting directors or agents when you're out looking for a new agent or whatever you're not pretty enough to be a love interest you're not um, feminine enough for this or you're not this type or that type but comedy does give you uh, more of an opportunity in many many ways but it's one of those interesting things where I'm a classically trained actress and the comedy literally started with a $50 bet and that's that. The only reason I ever did comedy was because somebody bet me fifty bucks I couldn't, and so that's how that started. And but besides that, I'm classically trained. I've done Shakespeare, Moliere, you know, Bertolt Brecht, and it's one of those things where being in the comedy and knowing that I started with the other stuff, and when people have seen me do dramatic things, it's always, oh my God, you're so much better at that, and you're so good, and you know that's. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I would love the opportunity to do more of it. But I'm not going to complain about what I'm given because, you know, you take the work, you do the work and you commit to it, whatever it is, and do your best within that framework. But you do have your favorite things. And mine just happens to be horror. I just really love it. And it's such a relief. And when I'm frustrated, when I feel like I'm stuck when I'm tired, when I'm being nasty. If I watch a horror movie, it just sort of, you know, it, it's a catharsis. It makes you feel better about everything. It's fun to watch somebody have their head ripped off because, you know, it just sort of releases those stresses and tensions that you have. And it's fun. It's just fun. Yeah, instead of you, you feeling like you need to rip someone's head off, you can just watch someone else do it for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, oh, I mean, your role in I Am Madman is very comedic. 
Yeah. Um, was that something that was present in the script or was it something you developed on set with the director? It was present in the script and we had so much fun with it because they allowed me to explore and experiment and actually started to encourage it. You know, at a certain point, the director Tybor was like, okay, well, let's just try this. Why don't you go a little whack on this one? Or why don't you, instead of thinking about that, think about money. And I remember him looking at me and going, don't think about what it's about. I want you to think about having all the money in the world. And it changed the scene and made it so much better and so much funnier on such a bizarre level that it was just, it, the whole experience for me was like that. So it's good. I mean, it's fun to be the comic relief, but you die faster, usually, <laughs> if you're the comic relief. <laughs> is that some of the weirdest direction you've ever gotten, is just think about money? Yeah, it is. That was the oddest thing anybody had ever said to me as a director. And it had absolutely, in my head, it just, I came to a screeching halt as an actress processing, trying to do this and think about that and what if, what if, and all that stuff. All of that noise stopped dead in my head and completely disappeared. And I just focused on, wow, if I had all the money in the world. And it worked. And it taught me a whole different way of processing. When you're having difficulty in a scene, think so far outside that scene and all that actor junk going on inside your head. And you'll probably find a better place to come from for that character. So that was... I just remember that moment being so startled, but absolutely still. And that was great. He was wonderful. He's just great to work with. See, horror can be valuable. You learn a lot. You do. You <laughs> do. It's very valuable. Um, what, um, as an actress, what did you do to prepare for the part of Mona? It was amazing because I, I tried to find as many roles like that, as many placement characters like that in other horror films as I could and I just watched horror continuously throughout the entire audition and filming process I'd watched nothing but horror movies and I went back to you know Creature from the Black Lagoon and the giant crab movie and you know ants <laughs> looking for that female character that would help me encompass what I was trying to do. Because she wants to be funny, but she also, in the in the context of her being funny, she's also avoiding a lot of, acknowledging a lot of things she's scared of in herself. So it was, it was nice. And I just watched horror. Just watched everything I could find <laughs> the entire time. I got all consumed. It was great. And uh, who are some female characters in horror that you find yourself personally very drawn to? Oh my gosh, that is such a bizarre and good question. I always, you know, it's, it's one of those interesting things. Here's the thing that bothers me about a lot of horror movies, and which is intrinsic and important to horror movies. The girls don't listen. They just, don't, the women don't listen. So when there's a horror movie where a woman actually listens and somebody says, don't go in the room and she doesn't, I love that because something worse is waiting where she is. And it's just, um, so my favorite characters, oh my gosh. Oh, there's so many, I don't even know where to start. Um, the mother and Carrie, all of them, all of the mother, mothers and Carrie. They've been, uh, that character's been interpreted in so many different ways. My favorite is obviously the first. 
but that kind of insanity and obsession and and just evil just so evil in the name of righteousness and religion and god and that is such pure insanity i love that character i really love that character a lot and um karen black's character in a trilogy of terror with the little guy the little statue the little african statue the zuni fetish doll. yes the zuni fetish doll that's a brilliant piece of work watching her do that because that can you imagine you know, I mean, you sit there and you watch that and she's just, oh my God, I love her. But it's one of those things where I'm watching that and she's dealing with this ridiculous, absurd, completely impossible thing and is absolutely passionate and strong about it. So great. What a, she's very heroic. I love that. So those two, I think, are probably my, two of my top favorites. Aliens, of course, you know. But that's so classic that it's almost not my favorite because that character is such a tough broad, you know. And it's great, the tough broad character, I love that. And then it lasted so long and keeps going and going. It's really fun. But man, that moment where she enters that machine, that giant machine thing, and just gets angry, is just such a beautiful moment. That's such a personification of how I, women feel at least once a day. <laughs> so I really love that too. So, uh, what about the I Madman script appealed to you, having seen so many many horror films? I just I really like the monster. I love the monster. The monster was um, it's uh, this might not make any sense, but the first time I read that script, for some reason, I thought of a ballet dancer. It crossed my mind, like Barishnikov, you know, this perfection, this absolute physical perfection and obsession and insanity all mixed into this one amazing character. I loved that monster. That's a very, very scary monster. <laughs> and Randall William Cook, who did the, was the monster, just really had such a good time doing it, and it was such a scary monster. And um, speaking of Randall William Cook, who did the uh, special effects makeup for the film, how long did it take for you to uh, get your uh, prosthetics on or to get your uh, gore makeup like lips ripped off in the makeup chair? You know, I have no recollection of it taking time. Right. My whole memory of it was even the day when they did the the bust and I'd never had that done before was the, like the entire upper half of your body all encompassed and with straws up your nose. That didn't seem to take any time. It wasn't uncomfortable at all. I was just so excited to be in his studio. And he showed me everything he had. And I got to touch stuff. You know, that was, that was my Disneyland right there. I had the, that was my happiest place on earth. And I don't have any memory of it being, uh, I don't have any idea how long it took. It didn't, it wasn't at all uncomfortable. And I was excited, so excited to do it and to work with him doing the special effects that it just seemed not at all time consuming. Is it possible to be scared for yourself on screen? You're like, no, Mona, don't do that, please. Like, answer the phone. That was scary. It was scary to watch me in those final moments. Scared me. It was scary because I was terrified. I actually got myself terrified. They got me terrified. You have to have a great director to be in that position with all the lights and the cameras and people standing over here and over there and it's raining outside and they're trying to deal with the sound and water coming in through the door and you're about to die 
and you know you're about to die and you have no idea what's around the corner and they got me there so I was genuinely terrified and to watch yourself in genuine terror is terrifying <laughs> was there anything that you filmed that they uh, cut out of the final film no not no Mm-mm. I don't think so not that I'm aware of very efficient even the cat was good oh, you yeah. know that's what amazed me too is I've worked with kids and animals and all kinds of kids and animals Puppet and puppets. I've worked with puppets multiple times. Not everybody can say that, so I feel kind of special there. Uh-huh. But um, the cat was good. Animals are nothing but a pain. And there's a, some point in every day when every animal just doesn't want to play anymore. And cats, particularly, really not. They're divas. They're all divas. But this cat was excellent. I love that cat. Did they let you keep the outfit that you wore? No, they didn't. I wanted it. <laughs> but they didn't let me keep it. It's it's hard to get. It's 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 like when I did Big Top Pee I wanted to keep that mermaid tail so badly. And Paul Rubens actually promised me I could have it, but could not override Paramount on that. Mm-hmm. You know, cuz there's a lot of stuff is rented and they have to return it and the fees for not returning rentals are far more than whatever it is you're wearing is worth you know usually and that you know so yeah I did want that outfit (laughs) I do have um part of it I have the um denim vest Mm -hmm. with the studs in it I do have that I have that do that do you wear that out on a hot night I have worn it I have worn it much to the chagrin and shame of my adolescent daughter (laughs) (laughs) that is what denim vests are good for Exactly, exactly what they're good for. And she's worn it to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So oh. I'm just saying, look who's laughing now. Mm-hmm. Does she do the whole story? Like, so my mom inherited this when she was on this, this uh, horror movie. No, you know, it's interesting. She doesn't, she hasn't really talked. She never really talked much to her friends about what I do because she's been around it all of her life and it never impressed her. She was never impressed by anything I've ever done. And she didn't really like watching me. And um, it was really funny because I, she didn't really get it when she was a lot younger until her friends started saying to her, you know, I saw your mom on TV. I saw your mom. My mom watches your mom. And then she came home and started asking about what is it exactly that you do and why <laughs> they pay you for that? Why do you do that? So that's okay. And then she started, her friends would, they Google me. You know, and they rent the movies and watch them, and it's fun. It's funny because now she just says, "I don't want to talk about it. I just don't want to talk about it. I just want you to be mom." Especially my comedy, my stand-up is very adult, and she saw it once, and um, she was sitting in the back of the room, and I walked off stage and walked right over to her, and her jaw was hanging slack. She was bright red, and she was shaking her head. Just no, 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 no. And I said, hi. And she looked at the woman sitting next to her and went, I do not know that woman. (laughs) She's not. She loves the props that I have and the pieces of costumes that I have been able to get. And she has utilized those things. But, um, and she does watch stuff that I'm in, but not in front of me. (laughs) That's why you have kids, to embarrass them. So you've been working it. I am working it, and I, I hopefully can continue to work it. 
until she has grandchildren. I have grandchildren, and then I'll just humiliate them. <laughs> yeah, my mom always says that her, her job's never done until, until I'm embarrassed, so. Yes. See, that's part of it. It's part of, like, being a mom. Because you remember when your mom embarrassed you, and you just have to pass it on. It's a love thing, really. <laughs> All right. So, uh, did you at- did you attend any theatrical screenings of I Mad Men? It was funny. A bunch of friends and I went together to the theater to see it when it was released, and I, we went at some on the weirdest time. I think it was like like a one thirty matinee on a Thursday or something, the day before th- Halloween. I think it was, and we were the only people in the theater, and we loved it. So I didn't really care what anybody else thought. <laughs> but I've been, it's interesting to me because of all the things that I've done and the diversity of things I've done, I would say that I am more recognized by adults for I Mad Men than for the series work or the stand-up work that I've done or for any of the other films that I've done. And I, it's, it's interesting the kind of people that will just stop you in the market. I Mad Men, Mona, I loved that. And they walk away. <laughs> And it's great. That's what, you know, that's more important to me than somebody just to say, I just loved it. Because then you have a kindred spirit. You know you have a horror fan. And they loved it. I'd rather hear, I loved it, than you or this guy or that guy. So I like that. It's kind of weird. Do you kind of feel like you've been shot, though? Someone just points at you? and (laughs) A lot of times, you know, it's funny, my friends, I have... I just don't think about it. I do what I do, and I love the work, and I enjoy it, and I'm grateful for it. But the rest of it, like all the fancy, is not who I am or anything I actually do well. I'm not good at the fancy, mm-hmm. schmoozy stuff. And um, sometimes we'll be in the mall, or my daughter and I will be out or something, and people will follow you and look at you, and, and they'll whisper behind your back, and I get so upset, and I think, what is wrong with me? What's on my face? There's something on my face. They're going to kill us. They're going to follow us to the parking lot. We're going to die in the parking lot. And they have to remind me, no, I think they might recognize you. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then if you wave, you know, they're like, I like your stand-up or I like that movie. And kids freak me out the most because I've done so many things for Disney. <laughs> Kid shows. The kids will literally will walk right up to you and stand three inches away from you and stare up at you and just grin and not say a word and it's kind of creepy it's a little village of the damned especially as a horror fan you're like is this children of the corn are you gonna murder me do you have a scythe behind your back yeah is your name malachi (laughs) oh my god those are interesting clothes back away from me leave me now oh you know what movie i really loved was um oh my gosh i'm going blank on everything Serial Mom. Oh, yeah, the, the John Waters movie. Yes, I loved Serial Mom. I was so jealous. <laughs> I have never not wanted another actress of any caliber not to have a role, but I hated her because she was perfect. <laughs> that was beautiful. I wished I, ooh, I was like, oh, I wanted to do that so badly. You're so good. Damn you. How, when was the last time you saw the film? When, when was the last time you saw I Madman? I haven't seen it in probably three years. And we have it, but because we're getting ready to move, everything's packed. And I was, last night around 11, I'm looking at my husband going, could we go and pack all the movies and stuff? Because I really want to watch it again. Could we do that? And from the other room, I hear my daughter go, you can watch it online, mother. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) 
Because I'm not a technical person. It slipped my mind that it's probably right there. So Less authentic, though. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes... It's like my mother always said, honey, sometimes you walk into a room and I think, look at that bright thing. And then other times I think, oh my God, really? Do you walk into walls? (laughs) (laughs) So did you know that it it recently got re-released on Blu-ray and people are watching it again? Yeah, I did an interview for that, which is very cool. And I'm really excited that it's been re-released and people are watching it again. Because I think it has a lot of classic elements to it that are really important and really fun. And Jenny Wright... Oh my gosh, please. What, you know, perfect. She was perfection and really nice and really funny and very fun and very sweet and easy, you know, so there was, which was great. I had, I was a real joy. And initially when I walked in and I was pretty new in town, I hadn't done that much and I was a little intimidated by her, you know, and I thought, oh God, I hope she likes me or I hope she's nice. And First thing, hey, how you doing? And it was just happy from there on. And she was so good. Just those moments, I'd stand behind the camera and watch her. And you'd get scared standing there with everything going on in the room, knowing you're watching a movie being filmed. I would get scared for her. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And it, it's it's such a good film. We both, um, we actually, our most recent watching of it was the first time for both of us. Mm. Like, I've been wanting to watch it for a really long time. I actually named my uh, short film, my, like, thesis film for college after it, because it was, like, a tech-themed film, so I named it, like, iMadman, because, like, the lowercase i, like, iPhone. But, (laughs) anyway, this isn't an interview of me, whatever. So, now we're going to move on to the second half of the interview. Uh, where we're going to talk a little bit about your career and a lot about horror movies in general. So you're largely a comedian, even if you didn't really want to be. Sure. When did you first realize you were funny? You know, it's it's just one of those bizarre things. As a kid, I would try to be deadly serious about things, and my dad would just burst out laughing, or people would just start laughing. And there were times I would be so impassioned about something and talking to my dad about it, and he would just stop and go, sweetie, you are a funny girl. You're just a funny girl. And it was strange because it was, I don't know. I don't know what it is about me. I think that, um, you know how some people just come across as crabby all the time? I think I just come across as not quite there (laughs) all the time or not quite grounded all the time and I do I get really excited and very impassioned about things and I will spew a diatribe of my personal opinions until someone stops me so I think that that might have a lot to do with it but my entire life people were have always told me I was funny even when I was trying to be serious which when you're kind of younger you know led to a lot of tears and slamming of doors and I'm never coming out of the bathrooms but eventually I did come out of the bathroom, so things are better now. But it's interesting because it, it I never thought of myself as funny. It just was, I guess it's just part of how I am. I don't know. It's strange. So the people that you surround yourself with, are they more like you, like you described as off, or are they more the opposite? The people that I'm closest to are a little off because I don't um, embrace normalcy because I don't even know what that is. And I wasn't raised normally you know I don't I didn't have a normal family with normal values you know I mean we I had a great family I did not have 
one of those horrific childhoods where I ever suffered all the time and I was never beaten and nobody was an, an, an addict and there was, <laughs> there was no big traumas between mommy and daddy. Just wasn't. I had a great upbringing in a great town surrounded by really good people and my parents both have incredible sense of humors. They just, both of them, very, very funny people. And always tried to find the humor in things to help us, their kids, learn to cope with things. And I think that just um, being raised in a house like that, in a very liberal, open-minded household, very loving household with a lot of humor, just sort of sets your path for you. Just as, this is an inconsequential question, but I just wanted to know what's your favorite joke? Just that, you know, just like a, whatever, just a knock-knock joke or whatever. Okay. This is so stupid. This is, but the first time I heard it, I did not see it coming, okay. and I should have. And um, I just laughed so hard. A little boy goes to the uh, it's trick or treating, and see, it's all Halloween oriented. A little boy's trick or treating, and he knocks on the door, and the lady opens the door and looks at him and says, "Oh, aren't you just the cutest little pirate?" And he was alone, so she said to him, "Well, where are your buccaneers?" And he says, "Under my bucking hat, lady. Give me some candy." <sighs> And I just didn't see it coming, and it just tickled me to death. <laughs> and it helps that a child told me that, too. A child oh. who had no idea what they were actually saying, but knew that it would get a laugh. So that's my favorite joke. That's a good joke. <laughs> I do have a joke, though. Okay. What, what's brown and sticky? I don't know. What is brown and sticky? A stick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's one of those jokes that makes you laugh because you go, oh my God. <laughs> it's, it is funny. Yeah, but it's so obvious. It is funny because it is that obvious. It's just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I don't know. You I feel like jokes. come on, don't you? No, I got jokes, but I feel like uh, when people will tell me, like you know, hey, what what's a joke? Like, tell me a joke. I'll just be like, have you looked in the mirror re- recently, or something oh, like that? Yeah. You know, it's sort of that. But I get a, a lot of those jokes from my from my family, where it's just kind of like, hey, does your face hurt? Because it's killing me. Oh, I love those. I love that joke. Yeah. Fine. We'll just we'll move on because your jokes are mean. <laughs> um. So, what are the differences between performing live stand-up, acting in, in films, and in sitcoms, like uh, Unhappily Ever After? Um, stand-up is all right there, right then, and you're just walking the tightrope, and it's great. It's terrifying, and it's rewarding, and no two shows are ever, ever going to be alike. It's, you know, and even if you do the same material it's not going to be the same joke. It's not going to be the same story because you're going to tell it a little differently. You get to mess around with it. You get to play with it. And you have a different audience and different audience perceptions and interpretations. And so it's, it's, it's just a really, it's like running naked through thorns. Either you're going to make it or you're not, but it's going to be really exciting. So that's, that's stand up, And there's a lot of fun to that. Working on television is incredibly structured and you know what time you're going to be there in the morning and you know 
pretty much what time you're going to go home at night and that you have certain days off and you'll work for a week or two weeks or three and then have one week or two weeks or three weeks off and you'll work from this month to this month. It's very structured. It's the closest thing to a quote-unquote regular job, I think, as an actor that you can get. And you know who you're going to be working with. So it's really comforting. It's very secure. And it's very, it's a lot, very relaxing because you have a lot of time to rehearse, for, to rewrite, to rehearse, to improve things for multiple takes, you know, and it, it all does happen in a week. But once you get into the flow of things, it's a pretty, it's a great structure. It's very nice. It's all familiar. It's all friendly. It's all happy. No big surprises, you know. You're not on location, so you don't. Doesn't matter if it's light or not, or if it's raining. Nobody cares. So it's just to go. It's very structured. It's great. It's 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 really fun. It's really just easy. It's the easiest aspect of performing. Movies are interesting because you can show up at a four a.m. call and sit in makeup and costume, and they'll send you home at midnight, and you haven't done a thing because it's you never know. You are on location, or if you're on a studio lot there's so much more complexity to it and they're going to do multiple takes of everything and multiple shots and you don't you rehearse the scene and you do the scene and the scene that you do today might be the last scene in the film and then tomorrow you might do the first scene so you don't have the physical continuity at all in a movie ever and that's it's kind of more fun I like movies. They're more fun. They're more adventuresome. You know, there's a little more, I guess there's a little more risk to it. You said briefly about how you got into into comedy, about it, there being a bet, and that sounds like a really great story. So I kind of just want to know, how did that happen? I was living in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the time, and I was one of three owners of the Comedy Cabaret in Uptown Minneapolis, which was a comedy club. And I hadn't really done comedy. Um, it was more of just an investment job thing. And uh, a friend of mine said, you know, you should try stand-up. It was open mic night at my own club. And she said, oh, you should try stand-up. I said, nah, I'm not going to do stand-up. You know, what are comics? You know, I'm an actor. <laughs> and she said, well, if you're such a great actor, act like a stand-up. Dropped that gauntlet, and I looked at her and went, oh, and she said, and there's 50 bucks in it if you can do it. So you drop that gauntlet and there's money behind it. I'm going to do it. So I wrote like a monologue and I chose this character and just wrote it like an actor writing a scene for an acting class, an original scene for an acting class. And I improvised a little off of it, went up, did it, boom, it worked. And I never got the 50 bucks, but I got a career, so, you know, I can't really blame her. Did you uh, end up using any of those bits later on in your actual career? I did, and it was interesting because I needed to do it fast, you know. It was that night, so I had to do it fast. So I actually used props. Yeah. And um, it takes, I just, being a prop comic is not exactly the purest form of comedy, and because I have been one in the past, I can't exactly slam it as much as I should or would like to. <laughs> I had a mohawk once. That was a bad idea, too. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, no, it, it, that was... 
I did keep some things, but I, you know, the, the more I did it and the more I got exposed to other comics and other comics helped me and they actually did help me. There were no other women around doing it. So I had all these guys who wanted to fix it for me and take care of me and tell me how to do it. And some of them were really helpful and some of them were just huge pains, just tremendous, overbearing, just wrong people. And I don't know, but you know, that was a guy thing, I guess. And um, so it was in the early 80s. So there you go. But uh, yeah, they were helpful. And it just, you know, pretty soon I just dropped all the props and started telling stories. The best advice I got, ever got literally was Louis Anderson saying to me, you need to talk about your family. The stuff you tell us when we're sitting around having a cocktail or eating a sandwich is so much funnier than what you're doing on stage. You just really need to drop the props and talk about your family. So I did. And it worked. Was that a hard decision for you, though? I mean, with it being your family versus whatever else you were talking about? I asked their permission. Well, I asked my mother and father's permission. I have never asked my sister's permission, nor will I <laughs> ask her permission. She's my sibling, and she used to sit on me when we were small. And she locked me in and tied me into a chair blindfolded me, gagged me, and drug me into the closet that had the hatch that went up to the attic in our Victorian home. And she left me there, and as she's closing the door, she's saying, let's see how long you can survive before it gets you. Oh. So there, that pretty much set the standard. Once you do that to me, once you terrify me to that end when I was that young, anything I have to say about her, I'm just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> And I actually haven't really talked about her, which is kind of ironic anyway. But I talked to my parents and asked, uh, and they said, sure, why not? So they've been really, they were always very, very supportive. And I would talk about my other family, and some of them didn't like it. But the interesting thing was that I've never used any of their actual names or said anything that would get any, give anybody indication who they were unless it was they themselves who knew what they said or knew what they did. And so my theory is always, don't complain to me about it or you're pretty much raising your hand in the back of the classroom. So, yeah. <laughs> and your parents have seen, seen the bits about themselves and do they like it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, my mother is actually very, very funny and she's always given me a lot of material. <laughs> Because she's ex she can be extremely... I mean, she can tell you to kill yourself and go to hell and make you want to do it. She's just got this amazing way about her. She won't say the words, but you get the idea. <laughs> and it's hilarious. She's just hilarious. And my father was very, very funny. Um, he passed over in 2000. But he used to come to my shows and uh, heckle me. And you would think, well, you know, that's, stop that, daddy. And then I would talk to him, and I would say, this is my father. This is my actual dad. And he would get, I would get so irate, and then he would say something that would lead me somewhere that was wonderful. And it was a plan. He knew what he was doing. And it was always, it always got, I always got great material out of those experiences. But it took me a while to be able to adjust to having your daddy heckle you, sitting in the front row heckling you but it helped me eventually i guess it was some weird form of tough love i don't know <laughs> and 
Speaking of hecklers, what's the weirdest heckling experience you've ever had? Or like, maybe not, I guess that would probably be the weirdest, but what's one of the most unusual ones? I was doing a benefit for, to raise money for a motorcycle gang. Kind of a villainous motorcycle gang. (laughs) And um, the money was being raised for members of the motorcycle group. I have to be so careful with this. Um, Because um, they had either been in fights or uh, in accidents and had either, they had become disabled in some way. So, and I heard through a friend, through a friend, through a friend that they wanted me to do it. And so I did it. And literally, it was at this biker's club, and there's chicken wire in front of the stage because they threw bottles at the bands and stuff. So I'm performing behind chicken wire, and I just didn't like it. So I came out front and just went, look, if I'm going to do this, let's just do it right here. And the thing was that I had two breakaway beer bottles with me, the kind you can smash over your head that are sugar, and they don't hurt you. And these guys were drinking, and they were getting a little out of control, and I was a little scared at this point and this one huge biker just the classic biker i mean such a classic humongous scary ass guy stands up and he's wavering around and he goes you think you're tough but you're not i know tough and i picked up one of the breakaway beer bottles that i had just set up there to look like i was drinking because they wanted me to drink and i'm not gonna drink during a show i'm just not gonna especially there and I picked one up and said, this is how tough I am, pal. And I broke the beer bottle over my head and it just shattered. And I stood there and looked at him and went, and? So he took his own beer bottle and knocked himself unconscious. <laughs> and I got a huge round of applause. And they drug him off the floor and took him into the back room. But it, it, yeah, I think that was <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good answer. Yeah, dig, you're so tough. Yeah, pal, I'm tough. Smash. Oh, yeah, bang. And out and down and blood. And I just went, oh, well. And they're all applauding and cheering. And, you know, we love you. I want to go back behind the chicken wire. I'm glad you survived to uh, come here and do this. Yeah, that was exciting. That was pretty exciting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have photographs somewhere of him lying on the floor with his head bleeding. Oh my god. Are those here? No, oh. actually they're not. They're packed up. Oh, okay. But, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, this is such a weird question. Brennan is wonderful at making weird questions. So uh, it says here, if you were going to talk about this podcast in a future bit, what would you say? <laughs> oh my gosh, what would I say? You know what? If I will, and I'll invite you to come see when I do. Because I will. I will talk about this. Because this is so much fun. This is so much fun. I spent years on the road as a comic and, you know, and all these interviews as an actress. And you do this stuff and everybody has these standards. And I'm just me. And I'm clearly not that mature. Okay? I am just not, I don't even know how to behave normally. I don't. I don't. I don't know what the hell normal is. And the people that I know that are quote unquote normal, I can't stand those people. (laughs) I cannot stand them. It's like, you know, oh, come down for dinner. Here's some wine. And oh, look, we're having hors d'oeuvres. And oh, you just got this new dress at Macy's. I'm like, oh, I just want to stab you people. And I just, I don't like it. I don't fit in. And this makes me happy. 
So you're good. And we are, I, is that good? I hope so. Yeah, I'm trying to compliment you, but I'm... I, oh, no. No, oh, we got it. Are you kidding? Compliment. See, there's that's the other aspect of me, you know, that just is so strange. Everybody else and all the hair and the makeup and the jewelry and the shoes and the gowns. I have gowns. They're made of flannel. <laughs> I wear them in the winter when it's chilly. I just not a gown kind of gal. Not, no. And when I have been had had situations where I've had to dress like that, people have openly laughed oh. and just said, "Well, look at you, looking like a real person." So it's not that I didn't look fine. I mean, I looked fine. It was just such an unusual and uh-huh. not within my character because I'm not really very feminine, and that's great. I don't think you should pretend to be something you're not. And I have tried femininity, and it throws my back out. And there's. No reason for self-harm. I really believe that. I agree. With that inspiring statement, I think we're going to move on to the final segment of our podcast. You have stated previously and previously on our show that you are a big horror fan. And we're so excited because you're the first interview that we've had of someone who's involved in the horror scene who's also a very big fan of horror, which is why we started this podcast. So we're very excited to talk to you just about the genre in general and what it means to you because it means so much to us and we're really excited that it's such an it's made such an impact on your life too. And we just kind of want to talk to you about that. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, you've already started talking about it, which we can tell your passion through, through you know, the other statements that we've made uh, so far and the questions we've asked you. So we are incredibly excited to just get to the thick of it. Let me tell you something. When uh, my father was a college professor at Wilmington College, which is a Quaker Fine Arts Institute in my hometown of Wilmington, Ohio, and they would have guest speakers come and speak to the school about their art, and one of those guest speakers was Vincent Price. Wow. And when I was an infant, Vincent Price came to speak about his art at the college, and he wanted to hold me, so he did. Ooh. And he played with me, and I think that's what happened. (laughs) That'll do it. Then what are the chances of some little baby in Wilmington, Ohio, getting held by Vincent Price? See? It's kismet. I'm supposed to do horror movies. You're you're the one. That's you. You're the chosen one. (laughs) I am the chosen one. And there's one question that we ask everybody who comes on our podcast, and it's, what's your favorite scary movie? Mmm, boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. That's so hard because there's I there's so many different kinds of horror movies. Um. Oh my gosh, what is my favorite? Okay, my favorite when I was a kid was um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and Leeches. Ooh. Leeches scared me to death. And that's still one of my favorite ones. I still really like that one. Then there's, um, mm, 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 mm. it's, you know, the Freddy movies? Mm -hmm. The Freddy movies. Just, that's such a great concept. That's just such a remarkable way to approach it. So definitely the Freddy movies. And then the thing, the thing. That's my favorite of all time. The original, the thing just about my head exploded 18 times watching that and I will watch it over and over and over and over and I'll watch the remake with Kurt Russell 
over and over and over. And then I'll watch them back to back. And it is just the most grotesque, horrifying, inconceivable thing in the world. And there it is right in front of you. And uh, speaking of strong female characters, the, the original The Thing has a really good one. That woman who's on the uh, base in the Arctic. Oh, yeah. And she was such a tootsie, too. And by tootsie, I mean she was very attractive, very independent-minded, very strong. And she wasn't going to listen to anybody else because she knew. And that, to me, that's a great character, a really wonderful character. And the way they go slowly insane just set that that terror and that fear and you don't know who's who and what's what and then the big thing with all the stuff and the dogs oh my god when the dogs bite it it's just that's the worst to me when animals just eat it in horror movies when they're nothing but grease it's just <laughs> that's the that's terrifying people you always figure maybe kind of deserved it somewhere <laughs> along the line but Kids and animals. Mm, mm, that's scary stuff. <laughs> and so uh, what, what's the first horror film you remember really making an impact on you? The very first horror film I remember making impact on me was uh, Nosferatu. And I watched, I was way too young to see Nosferatu when I saw it. Because honestly, it was at one of those midnight showings when you're a kid and they just run horror movies all night long. And my parents go go have a good time and i loved him and nosferatu was one one of those bills and silent movie and just terrified me to no end black and white the photography the cinematography the makeup just the whole approach to the whole thing i could swear i smelled his corpse i could swear sitting in that movie theater i could smell him and I got chills. Oh, I just, oh my God. <laughs> that was the, the, the first absolutely terrifying horror movie I ever saw. No, oh, it's, it's a good one. And that, that guy um, who played Nosferatu, Max von Trek, he pretty much looked like that, which is kind of terrifying in its own right. It is terrifying, but you find your niche, which is important. <laughs> do you still watch and enjoy modern horror movies? I do. Every time a new horror movie comes out, I want to see it. I see it. I always do. What's your favorite one they can remember seeing recently? She thinks. She's thinking. She's still thinking. Um, oh my gosh. The sequel is just coming out. The one about the writer. Sinister? Sinister, yes. Sinister. Because that's one, that's one of my personal things is darkness. Mm-hmm. I don't like the dark. I've never liked the dark. And... I can be just as scared in the light, but at least in the light, you can see whatever's coming at you, or at least you can see where to run if you can't see what's coming at you. But the dark is such a scary thing to me, and the the fact that something can can be multidimensional, you know, and come across this whole sort of time-space thing and exist and affect the children is terrifying. So that's my favorite new one. That I can't wait to see the sequel. And that was a great tie-in to our uh, our next question: is um, what are you afraid of, and what scares you in real life? I'm afraid of the dark. Honestly, I am. I'm afraid of the dark. And but only if I feel threatened, which is interesting because I'm fine in the dark. I'm pitch black is great. If I know where I am, if I'm home, if I'm alone, if it's dark, fine. I know there's nobody here. I'm fine. I hear one noise. 
I will freak out. <laughs> I will absolutely freak out. I am also afraid of electricity, oh. which is kind of interesting. Electricity terrifies me, and which is interesting because um, Frankenstein was a movie that I that I adored when I was a kid. I loved that movie, and it was just the part with the electricity where he comes to life was really the first time I ever saw electricity as a positive thing, but it wasn't really positive for anybody. So that was interesting. So yeah, electricity. Um, hmm. Those, I think those two things. The dark and electricity. That's fair. Those are good ones. <laughs> I'll have to add those to my list of things to be afraid of. Um, oh, and so what are what's your favorite type of horror movie? Like, what's your favorite sub sub genre? Like haunted house movies slasher movies do you have a specific style that you gravitate towards in general in your watching i like i like hauntings i like the hauntings you know like and in sinister that's an actual that's a haunting Mm -hmm. so i prefer the haunting i like suspense the suspense of it i like the diversity of uh the different characters that come in with hauntings and the way hauntings occur. I'm not that big on slasher films. I'm just not. And I think that part of it comes from, and my, my daughter is a great um, testament to this, because when um, she was little, we started, I started showing her horror movies right away. And I showed her The Tingler was the first one that I showed her. And, you know, it's kind of obvious and everything so I thought oh we'll talk it through and we did I talked it through and I said now see there's a string and you can see the string and it's just a rubber creature and so this is what do you think of it and oh it's fun you know it was fun so then you progress a little bit with that but I think that when you know all about special effects slasher films are just an exercise in looking at special effects so I'm not really crazy about them now depending on how you get slashed a good fork to the head yeah that's a little unique that's makes it more interesting but just slasher films in general like a house of a thousand corpses kind of bored me yeah it was boring and kind of i just thought oh wow you have all this ability to make anything you want to make into a horror movie and you just how much did you spend on that blood how much was that did you spend on that because you kind of wasted that money and you know he can do better than that. Rob Zombie can do way better than that. And it just really disappointed me. So I don't really like slasher films. And the thing with my daughter is that I explained to her all about special effects. And her dad explained to her. And we would show her how things were done. So by the time she's seeing Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, she's bored. She's just bored. They're slow-moving people. They're actors. It's all fake. It's chocolate and fake stuff. So she fell asleep in the middle of Dawn of the Dead. Your daughter sounds like an incredible person. She is. She's very, she's funny. She's very funny. And she's a, a great kid. She's really honest, which I love too. And she, um, she'll tell me. It's like she watched Human Centipede. Said, have you seen that? I went, no. Yeah. No, no, no. I started to. And hun, just really, I was eating at the time. So no. She went, it's disgusting. Also, <laughs> she just walked away. It's disgusting. And what they don't tell you about the human centipede is that it's really boring. Yeah, she said it took forever to be disgusted. She said it was the longest time. And you kept waiting for something more to happen, but it was just more disgusting. And she kind of fast-forwarded through quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I respect that about her. But no, I haven't seen that. And I really don't have any desire to. And that actually leads us into another question, which was, um, what age do you think it's safe to show your kids horror movies? It sounds like you started your daughter pretty early. I think it's 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 safe to start them out very very early because there's a there are a lot of really fun things. I mean, Scooby Doo does horror stuff, you know. Casper the Friendly Ghost. There are horror cartoons, and it's not that you want to. It it I think the saddest thing that I of all that I know are that grown people my own age who can't watch horror movies because they're terrified. Now, not that many horror movies are actually scary. There are very few that are actually frightening. And then once the big boo is over, the rest is escaping the boo. And so that's suspense. So for people to actually say, oh, I can't watch this or I can't watch, I can't watch Aliens, it's too scary. You just go, seriously? (laughs) How do you function? What do you do if the lights go off in your house? You just grab a knife and stab yourself because inevitably you're going to be assaulted by some monster from hell. And that just is so sad to me. Or people that, I can't watch The Exorcist, it's too real. Not really. (laughs) If you think that's real, I can't be friends with you because I might be imaginary. And that's sad. So I think that it's good to show it to kids and to teach them what's real what isn't real what special effects are how to have fun with this stuff what the the great humor that's in horror movies and there's so much great humor in so many horror movies in the scream movies there's such there's so much good humor in those and i think that kids can have a lot of fun it certainly will enhance halloween which i believe should be a year-long event anyway (laughs) and it gives them an outlet it gives kids an outlet much better outlet than um, crime movies and, you know, where it's all murder and death and hate and stuff. At least this, you've got some creative aspect to it because I don't, I'm not big on, like, the whole gangster thing. You just go, please, get over it. And just explain it to them and you can lead them up, you know, the first things that she watched for, like, Mothra versus Godzilla. Yeah, those are, it's good, it's fun, it makes sense. Yeah, and Mothra's really little twins they're really great (laughs) and so um leading off of what you said about adults who are terrified of those movies that really don't make sense like i had a teacher who i was talking about the friday the 13th movies with and she was like oh i can't watch those and i was like really there's literally one moment in the entire franchise that's scary at all but okay so what is a movie that has really or what is a movie that is really profoundly affected you like beyond watching it where you're sitting in bed at night you're scared you're actually thinking about it after the fact and you're like actually psychologically kind of traumatized by a movie like that like that's actually been really effective you know what i know exactly what movie did that to me was last house on the left oh yeah oh my god i was probably i i saw that when that was first came out and I just, I was terrified. I'm still terrified because of the whole aspect of that and the, just the, the fight for life against human monsters, it's real. I mean, that's a very, very, very real thing. The whole context of it could be very real. And the joy of it is sick. I mean, when you find yourself sitting there saying, oh, I'm so glad she just castrated him, you're kind of going, oh my God. 
and there's there's just basic human survival at its at its most basic level and the most heinous thing that you can do to another human being the whole rape and torture aspect is just horrifying so that's it's it's a very real real terror and that terrified me for years to this day you know if i'm home alone and they're going to be gone everything's going to be locked i have a baseball bat i and a big sharp knife <laughs> and mace well it's pepper spray because they won't let you have any anymore but yeah that really terrified me and the remake oh please <laughs> I thought, oh, I'll just watch the remake. It'll be great. You know, I'm over it. I'm an adult. I'm a grown person. Why, I'm a mother. I couldn't watch it in one sitting. I just couldn't do it. It was too scary. I had to watch half of it and then watch the next half the next day. I couldn't watch the whole thing in one sitting. That is absolutely terrifying because that can happen, and it does happen. No, the, the Last House on the Left is a really, it's a fantastic film. It's so violent and grotesque but it's also such an intelligent movie about violence because it was a response to vietnam and it was about all of these violent images that were happening and it was about how pointless everything is because at the end you're just staring at all of this grotesque viscera and you're like what was the point of all of this exactly and it's it's like you're standing in carnage soup going wow how did we get here why did we get here so I absolutely agree with that. It's a great film. It's absolutely great. Now I want to watch it again. <laughs> and that's, I think, the third or fourth uh, Wes Craven movie that we've talked about um, during this podcast. And Wes Craven just passed away this week. And I just want to say, like, he was a master. And I think it's really appropriate that everybody, like, to think about him and pay tribute to him this week and he really profoundly affected everybody in every generation like from stephanie to me to shannon of every level of horror like freddy krueger has affected people who don't even who haven't even seen those movies no that you're absolutely right i just agree with everything you're saying and his his talent and his intelligence and his comp his ability to look at the psychological aspect of everything was just phenomenal to me and you just so so smart and so energetic in everything that he did and you know it's so funny that he's so well known for the horror and the sense of humor and all the things that he brought to everything was just so unique and groundbreaking and really a gift a huge gift and to think of the other things that he's done um you know the meryl streep movie where she won the, the music of the heart music of the heart yeah and he was just such a master at what he did and i was so excited about everything looking forward to what more he was going to do so it's it's a huge loss and we should all think about him every time you watch a horror movie you have to realize that he affected it whether it's his or not he affected it on a lighter note yeah sorry to bring the tone down yeah but but you know it was necessary we needed to pay tribute um on a lighter note however you know you talked earlier about how you you want to get back into horror and um always excited and uh, how it's an outlet for you so the question would be would you ever play killer however i'm assuming the answer is yes so assuming that the answer is yes if you had to kill in in quotes everyone in quotes if you had to kill someone or or had a a subject if you were a serial killer fictionally fictionally had a subject 
what would what type of person would you like be um, after? Um, I would love to go after normal people, <laughs> normal, law-abiding, good citizens with their dark little nasty secrets and their bitchy little evil ways and their, you know, some old ladies in the grocery store behind them with one item, they've got a cart full, they look around, notice it, and don't say, go first. Those people are the people. The soccer moms, the cheerleader moms, the perfect people who aren't perfect and are just faking it, and then one day they wake up and they're evil all day long. They're just vicious, evil, nasty, gossiping, hateful people, and then they have five or six glasses of wine, go to bed, wake up, and fake it for another year before they really are nasty again. I just, unreal people, fake, phony, just clumping around the earth, stinking it up kind of people. (laughs) And I would love to torture them. That would be the fun part, too. I think that would be good, you know, like somebody with excessive plastic surgery. I Just to remove their face completely (laughs) would be good. I I would watch that movie. I would make that movie, and yeah. Take their boobs and their butt, you know, and their little chins and their little cheeks and their lips and just sort of glue them on a wall in front of them and goes, look at you, aren't you lovely? <laughs> yeah, you can pull a Princess Bride and just leave the remains and let them keep living, you know. Oi, exactly. oi. Inside the mind of Stephanie Hodge. <laughs> she saw it here first, folks. All right. So, um... A little less violent. Um, did did having a child um, change how you responded to horror? Did it make you? Um, did it change any of the stimuli? Like watching Sinister, like when there's a creepy child going on, or like when there's a child in danger, like in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Does it change kind of your reactions to that, or is it just kind of the same? No, it definitely changed my reaction to things. When a child is in peril, it's in any movie. It, it was it's always tough but when you have a child and you see a kid in peril in horror movies it's you literally I will sit there and think well I would have done more I would have done more I would have happily ripped my own arm off and beaten that monster to death to save my kid and it's it's it really does it changes it affects you you get more terrified for the kids even if you know better even if you can see all the strings and buzzers and whistles and the grip in the back holding the beer uh-huh. It's still, it's, it really, it's a lot more effective. It's a lot more frightening. Uh, and yeah, and you think about it as a parent. What would I do if that were my kid? And how could, how, she, she knows we've got it. We've taught her. We've taught her. <laughs> we've taught her how to pluck somebody's eyeballs out. That's good. That's good. You know, so it really does af- affect how you look at things. Definitely. <laughs> it makes them more terrifying. Have you really taught her how to pluck eyeballs out? Not really, but I'm thinking maybe it's a good idea. Yeah, you know, get the juices flowing. Now you're you've got these new uh, new self defense methods to teach your daughter before she goes off to college. Yeah, well, you know, it's like my mother told me: you can kill a guy with a spoon. All you have to do is know how, and have the courage to do it. You know, that was her dating advice to me. <laughs> <laughs> that was her dating advice to you. Oh, and when children, oh, this is the thing. Children, when they are attacking you, like in Sinister, 
that is really more horrifying. That is the most horrifying thing because you, and this is the truth. Parents will tell you, my child never lies to me. I know my kid. My kid would never do this. My kid has never done that. I know my kid. That is such a pile because <laughs> you don't know your kids. And I have one child and she tells me a great deal and I know a great deal about her, but I do not know everything, nor should I know everything. And I think that when, it's so funny to me when kids become the vile, evil creatures, you know, and you look at them and you just think, oh my God. I kind of delight in that aspect of it more now because as a parent, you know, you don't really know your kids. You know what they want you to know. And no matter the amount of snooping that you can possibly do does not enhance that knowledge, trust me. So we're kind of wrapping up. Yeah. And yeah, just one final-ish question. Um, do you have any advice for young actors or comedians who are out there trying to make it in the business right now? Yes, don't listen to anyone. That's good. Just don't listen to anyone. It is uh, both acting and, and stand-up are rife with politics and rife with people who will see you and tell you, oh, you know, let's. this is how I can help you or this is how I can help you. Any Nine times out of ten, somebody who's going to help you is going to benefit from helping you. And chances are you're not going to benefit in the end. So you have to just be strong. You have to find a core group of people that you trust and respect, um, who trust and respect you. You have to keep that pact. You have to keep your honesty and you don't listen. Don't, you know, just don't listen. If anybody tells you you can't do it, yeah, you can. The first time I met with an agent when I came to L.A., I'm sitting on his in his office on this giant sofa and there's a pillow that says dear god please give me an actor who can act right away i don't like the guy because i don't think that's funny and this is the first thing people see when they come into your office that made me think what have you got a stable full of people who can't act <laughs> and he literally looked at me and said well you don't look like anything you don't look like the love interest you don't look like the mom you don't look like the daughter you're not really pretty you're not really ugly you're not really fat you're not really thin um, you're attractive but you're not really attractive and you're certainly not sexy so I don't think there's anything you can do and I looked at him and said I can act and that's that's how it starts you know if I had listened to him I wouldn't have had any of the fun I've had I would have been teaching like high school because that's what I was going to do. I would have been teaching high school and think of all those children whose lives I would have ruined. <laughs> and we wouldn't have met you, so thank you so much for uh, not listening. No kidding. Yeah, that's the key. Don't listen. <laughs> all right. Yeah, um, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank you so much for inviting us into your home and for assuming that we're not serial killers. And being so kind and a courteous host and, and awesome. And time and everything. We really appreciate it. I'm just happy to be part of this. I think what you guys are doing is incredible. And it's going to go for so long, so far. You have such a huge, wide world to explore out there. I'm so happy you're doing it. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much. Oh, wait, we forgot one. Did we? Yeah. What's next for Stephanie Hodge? Oh, what's next? I don't know. The joy and mystery of the industry. I don't know. There's, um, there's a. I have a some couple of meetings set up about potential products. You know, uh, products, products. See how you think about yourself. Uh -huh. Projects, 
So yeah, there's a couple of projects that I have meetings set up to discuss, but you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll keep an eye out. Okay. Well, I'll do my best. And if I can't do it, you know, through acting or stand up, I'll commit a heinous crime because I don't want to let you down. Like the felon your mom always said you were. Yes, like the felon my mother always said. You're just a felon waiting to happen. Well, I mean, we're in Calabasas. The Kardashians are like right next door. Just like hang out with them a couple times. Oh my gosh. Now see, those are the people that I would go and kill. Exactly. Okay, no way. (laughs) If you did that, instant notoriety. That's the key. That's what's next for Stephanie Hodge. Or you could hang out with one of our favorite people, Cher. She lives down the street. (laughs) And I love Cher. I worship the Cher. I know. She is the Cher. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on Scream 101. We had a great time. And this is going to be a fantastic episode and a very long episode. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Thank goodness. All right. Thank you. And it's the other side. Yay! You made it. Welcome back. Um, okay, we just have some uh, quick uh, wrap-up things to do. Well, first of all, thank you again, Stephanie Hodge. You were absolutely wonderful and a gem. Uh, you're we, a beautiful person, and your hugs are wonderful. Uh, we loved having you on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting us into your home. It was beautiful, and we are not serial killers, and you didn't know that. So now, moving on. Yes. The the answer to our clue from earlier this episode is next week we are going to be watching Wes Craven's 1989 semi-slasher film Shocker. So if you'd like to watch that with us, please feel free to do so. Yeah, that clue was a major shocker. Oh, man. If you have any comments that you want us to share on the podcast, if you have any questions for us that you want us to you want to ask us on the podcast, if you have any champion dialogues you want to share, please feel free to send them out to us. You can contact us on Tumblr and Facebook at Scream101Podcast, on Twitter at Scream101Pod. You can email us at Scream101Podcast at gmail.com, and you can always find us, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search Scream101Podcast. We're the only one. We're fantastic. Give us five stars. If we do say so ourselves. Yes, we do. Yeah. Hey, Brennan, who, who will be playing us out? We will be playing you out with... Hit the Road Jack, which is the theme song to Stephanie Hodge's sitcom Unhappily Ever After. I love that song. It's a great song. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more. Oh, what you say? wanted me to wear dresses, I wouldn't have been born wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Bye. Bye.